This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. I hope I find you well. Cliche alert as we come to the business end of the domestic season. I hope your club has had a a successful one or perhaps is on the verge of something special. Although, commiserations if your fate has already been sealed. There is always next year. Or there's some international football in the summer to look forward to. And of course, the World Cup is getting ever closer. I thought I'd put this episode out almost as a catch-up episode, as all the recent ones have been quite specific in their content, and I've not been able to shoehorn a few other things that that I wanted to mention into those. So I thought I'd take this opportunity to do that. And also... I recently spoke with Gavin Blackwell. Now, he's a physio for non-league Tividale FC. They play up in the West Midlands. And he is privy to a few post-tournament reports. He goes to various meetings where the likes of Gary Lewin, a former England physio, will report back on what happened. And Gavin has kindly shared some of these stories that he's heard. Now, that's going to come up later. As always, though, if you have missed some of the recent episodes, they still can be found at your podcast provider of choice or threelionspodcast.com. And some of those recent episodes, well, they include... There was the World Cup draw. That was where I went up to Wembley. Thanks to the England Supporters Travel Club, uh, I went to Wembley to watch the draw with some fellow England fans. On that episode, you can hear the reactions of them, what they think of the draw. That's episode 194. 195 is the latest in our World Cup series. And I spoke with England fan Peter Woodman as he was there in 1966 and saw Bobby Moore lift the Jules Rimet trophy with his own eyes. Episode 196 was my chat with England sea manager Paul Fairclough. He told me about the recent defeat to Wales Sea and what the future holds for the team. And the most recent was episode 197, the latest in the England Manager Series. I know, I've got the World Cup Series and the Manager Series on the go at the same time. I hope it's not too confusing. Uh, But the most recent one of those was where I spoke with David Hartrick, author of Silver Linings. Bobby Robson's England. Uh, It's a great insight into his time as England manager. And I'm sure you'll have noticed that I'm not too far away from that 200th episode. And I've already got a couple already lined up to take us to that amazing number. It's just a number, but it is a great milestone for the podcast. And it wouldn't have been possible without your support. Honestly, I'd have got bored of talking to myself a long time ago. So thank you. Thank you very much as always. I really hope you'll enjoy the ones to come. They're pretty special. 
But let's crack on with this episode. Some things that you may have missed, or just some general info that may be of interest. Germany away, the Nations League. It's on the 7th of June. It's a Tuesday and has been announced as being played in Munich at the Allianz Arena, home, of course, of Bayern Munich. It's one of those grounds that many will have wanted to visit at some point. You know, tick it off if you haven't already. I've only seen it from the outside, so I'm looking forward to stepping foot inside. Now, the England Supporters Travel Club have managed to secure a 5% allocation for Travel Club members. That is a total of 3,466 tickets. And this appears to be the main away section in the ground. It's up on the third tier. It's made up of, I believe, eight blocks. And I think 5% is the minimum amount the DFB have to provide. Sure, more would have been great. And clearly the demand would have been there. Because it's no secret that England fans have been buying tickets in the home end for what appears to be a cost of 25 quid. Which hopefully is an indication of how much members of the Travel Club will be paying. But we wait and see. Uh, And for those that have been buying in the home end, sincerely hope that there are no issues uh, for those of you that have done that. But speaking of costs and allocations, I've looked back at the three previous away games against Germany in Germany. Now, the most recent was 2017 in Dortmund, where we were given an allocation of 3,165 Prices were £39 for the lower tier and 22 for the upper. 2016 was in Berlin, where we won 3-2. And apparently there was enough to satisfy the ticket demand back then. And tickets cost £19. I didn't go to that game, but I'd imagine the allocation was something in the region of 7000 As that was what was given back in 2008. Again, in Berlin, again, another win. 2-1. I had to dig out my programme and ticket for that one. Cost me €25. Uh, And for the game coming up, Travel Club members have until the 8th of May to submit an interest in going to the game. And it would appear, if you have around the 26-28 loyalty cap mark, then you should be good for a ticket. Don't take my word for it. Don't take it as gospel. But I think just reading online, that should be what it is. Obviously, the other major ticket application is that for the Qatar World Cup. I hope by now you've submitted yours. Uh, If you've applied through the FA, the feedback from the supporters club with regards to ticket quantities is as follows. So obviously we've got Iran, USA and whoever wins the European playoff in our group. Against Iran, England fans have been awarded 2,489 tickets. Against America, 4,158. And then a game against either Wales, Scotland or Ukraine. 2,339. <laughs> they really are shocking numbers for a World Cup. It's incredible how many other tickets go elsewhere. I mean, if if England get to the semi-final, 
Travel Club members will get 4,609 tickets. If, touch wood, here I am, touching wood, England get to the final in what is almost, I think, an 80,000 capacity stadium, England fans will receive 5,109 tickets officially. Obviously, if that was to happen, there would be England fans all around the ground. But officially, 5,109. It's disgusting, really, the way FIFA do this. Football is for the fans. Football without fans is nothing. What was it? All of those slogans that were said. Nothing seems to be learnt. But you may also remember at the beginning of the year, I recorded a podcast with Arjun Vara. He's an England fan and also a Qatar fan leader. And he gave us some great info on Qatar. You can still find that episode on your podcast provider. It's episode 182. Now, I also hope to be recording another episode very soon with someone based in Qatar. And he can hopefully provide some insight and lay of the land, just hopefully help you guys that are going to the World Cup. So stay subscribed, you won't miss it. And also something I'd like to point out, at the World Cup draw at Wembley uh, that I mentioned, there are a couple of guys from the Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Office, and they have asked me to mention that if you need to, head to the gov.uk website, find the Foreign Travel Advice, Scroll to Qatar, where you'll find a section on their advice for the World Cup. It's similar to their on-the-ball campaign that they ran for the previous Russian World Cup. Sticking with the senior men, there was also an interesting story that I think originated in the Daily Record. It's a Scottish newspaper. There was a rumour, and that is all it is at the moment, that England are looking at having a friendly with Ukraine. I think initial talks may have taken place through some way, shape or form. This ahead of Ukraine's World Cup playoff against Scotland, which is scheduled to be played on the 1st of June. And as I say, it is just a rumour at the moment. But it would make sense for the Ukrainians to get a game under their belt before that big one. We could act as the warm-up. It could be an opportunity for Gareth to introduce some fringe players, maybe. I don't know. When this game would take place is anyone's guess. Obviously, there are some big end-of-season games that may cause issues. I'm talking FA Cup final, Champions League final. Uh, and there's been no mention of venue for it either. This is really a, a watch this space one. But it would be great, wouldn't it? Obviously, we've all been watching this terrible war from afar, feeling helpless. Um, so to be able to show our support from the terraces would be would be good. It would be good. Although I must acknowledge a group of England fans, the England fans supporters team, I know... That they have not only played a charity game against a Ukrainian side recently, but also taken supplies out to the border, which I take my hat off to. Well done. There's another podcast episode that I, I really should do. One day I will chat to those guys. One day. One day. And one more thing for the men before I move on to the women. 
The news was broken by Daily Mail journalist Mike Keegan. And again, this relates to the Nations League. For TV viewers in England, the six forthcoming home and away Nations League games will be shown on free-to-air Channel 4. Uh, It would appear they were the underdogs in the bidding for it, and they've come out on top. Previously, our Nations League games, well, they've been shown on Sky Sports. But Channel 4, they do have previous with regards to sport. They've had the cricket, they have the Paralympics, and I'm pretty sure they showed the Chelsea World Club Cup final recently. And for those that have uh, kept an eye on the news, they'll you'll know that Channel 4, they've been in the news of late, with the government intending to privatise the station. Although that's not going to happen anytime soon, but I'm not sure Channel 4 having England regularly is something we could get used to, not just yet. We'll see. Uh, actually, though, whilst we're talking TV, I don't know if you saw the two-part Gaza documentary recently it was on bbc2 great viewing lots of old footage from the early part of his career there was old grounds there was old shirts it's just so sad how it all ended how he wasn't given the right support thankfully though things are a little better now in that regard but if you didn't see it the gaza documentary iplayer uh yeah, it was bbc2 go and uh, go and find it there it's a good watch can highly recommend it now Let's move on to the women. I never actually managed to fit in an episode on their recent results. Um, Just time was against me on that one. Uh, But just to bring you back up to speed, they had two World Cup qualifiers at the start of the month of April. They won (laughs) 10-0 away to North Macedonia. If you know your women's football, that will come as no surprise, as that was their third 10-0 of the campaign. And add that to the 20 nil route at home to Latvia as well. I think the girls just now need a point to seal qualification to the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. And then they played Northern Ireland, where they won 5-0. The last couple of games in their World Cup qualifying are where they play Austria and Luxembourg in September. But before that, They have two friendlies ahead of the summer's European Championships being held here in England. They play Belgium on the 16th of June at Molyneux Wolves and the Netherlands on the 24th of June at Elland Road in Leeds. No doubt I'll be speaking with Rich Laverty before those games. And as I said, the European Championships are being held here in the summer. It is the first time we have hosted since 2005. And the good news is that all of England's group games have sold out. Austria at Old Trafford, Norway at the Amex in Brighton and Northern Ireland at St Mary's in Southampton. And I see that a few other games have also sold out, including the final. Let's just hope that the Lionesses will be there. But I would like to touch on something else regarding the women. For those of you that know your women's history you'll know that there is a very special anniversary coming up this year. For those that don't, stay subscribed uh, to the podcast and all will become clear. Anyway, though, for a special episode for that anniversary, I've been speaking with a couple of former England women players. 
And I mention them like that because that's what they were known as at the time. They weren't known as lionesses. It was simply England women. I've been told by some of those early pioneers for the England women side that they'd been offered tickets for the Euros, but for non-England games. As you can imagine, this really hasn't gone down too well. As I say, England play Northern Ireland at Southampton and a former Southampton player has been offered a ticket for Norway versus Northern Ireland at St Mary's instead. Now, the women's game has suffered a long ban between 1921 and 1971. Totally ridiculous, totally unnecessary. It's all well documented. But from 1971 until now, the women's game has grown And its growth is on a steep curve at the moment. Young girls now have female role models to aspire to. But the women who played for England back in its formative early days, without them, the Lionesses wouldn't be where they are now. So I think it's it's nothing short of a disgrace that either the FA or UEFA can't provide England tickets for former England players. Whenever we watch the men's senior team, they'll often pan to a former England player sitting in the crowd. That's what they need to be doing in the women's game. We want to be watching the games in the summer where the camera crosses across the pitch up to the stands and the commentator will mention a particular player from one of the early games. This needs to change. The FA, UEFA, whoever it is, We need to be giving the acknowledgement to those former players. Let's hope that that can change soon. There we go. I hope that's brought you up to speed with a few things that you may have missed. Now, as I mentioned, I spoke with Tividale FC physio Gavin Blackwell recently. Now, he knows a few inside stories about England from over the years that he wanted to share. So here we are. This is our conversation. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Three Lions podcast, Gavin Blackwell, a physio currently for Tiverdale FC. Hello there, Gavin. Hi there, Russell. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Oh, well, well, thank you for joining us. Um, you've got a uh, fair few anecdotes and sort of little stories, not only about being a physio, but little sort of anecdotes that you've you've picked up from sort of the, the world of England? Yeah, very much so. Um, obviously, being a member of the FA Medical Society for many, many years, um, and obviously their sort of high-up chairman and people like that have been very much associated with the England setups, um, going right back to Dr Vernon Edwards, who was the GP at Watford as well as England, and uh, obviously succeeded by Dr John Crane, who was also the Arsenal club doctor for many years. And obviously... He followed uh, Vern Edwards into his England career when Vernon retired after the 86 World Cup. I see. So you yourself are a physio, as I say, for, for Tiverdale FC. How did you get into to that side of the game, as it were? It all started with my uh, sort of hometown club, uh, Halzone in Town. They were sort of like on a journey uh, in 82, 83, 
sort of season where they were sort of like matching everything what Liverpool were doing at the top end of the professional game. My, yeah. my local club was sort of like uh, winning league titles back uh, back to back, four league titles on the spin. And obviously three trips to Wembley in four years, losing the first one and obviously missing out the second time and then going back and winning it twice, you know, so a couple of FA Cup appearances. And that sort of like stimulated my interest. And I was sort of like fascinated with a guy uh, who would run on the pitch with a bag and um, that sort of stimulated my interest. And obviously I got following the club and obviously got more and more involved. And basically I was in the inner sanctum at like 13 years old and watching everything uh, of what the dressing room environment's like. And from then on in, I just asked about courses and then, just went on a course after the course after the course, really, and just got more and more involved. And that's how it started, really. I see. And first for knowledge. For for the physio side of things. Well, yeah, physio side of it, yeah. And, and yeah. the coaching as well. I've got a big interest in the coaching, I must admit, and I've done a few courses uh, on that as well. So football's just a fascination for me. So. Yeah. No, it's, it's what's interesting is there's so much more to the game than just the... 22 players on the pitch kicking the uh, ball of leather around, um, which many will, will say of a certain age. But you you kindly sent me a copy of a letter you wrote or, or the reply that you originally wrote to a particular assistant to Alf Ramsey. Yeah, and um, the letter went to uh, Harold Shepherdson who was the uh, England trainer for many years, appointed under Sir Walter Winterbottom. And then uh, continued under Sir Alf. I, I picked the book up, um, Soccer Injuries and Fitness, many, many years ago in sort of like 86. And reading that book sort of like got me started. And I just thought I'd write to Harold uh, and just ask him uh, the best advice to continue my learning, obviously. I'm always looking to improve. Even now, after 35 years, I'm, I'm still looking to further my knowledge and better myself. You know, so it's, it's, it's a non-stop journey, really. Well, of course. So, what did um, what did he come back and tell you? He basically um, advising me to do as many courses as possible, read as many books on anatomy and physiology, go on local college courses, um, and just learn as much as you can, and particularly around the first aid aspects um, as well, which is uh, massively important. Uh, probably the single most important factor of a physio's role really is the first aid aspect. That's advanced now to beyond unrecognisable levels to what it used to be, as you can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, just to just to explain, Harold Shepherdson, as say he was so Alf Ramsey's assistant back in '66. He also had. A very small playing career, by all accounts, for Middlesbrough. And he was, just looking into him, he was part-time manager or caretaker manager of Middlesbrough on about four or five occasions. Yeah, that, that's right. With England, he was a trainer, assistant, baggage man, the whole lot. You know, he, he pretty much done a lot. You know, when you think about it now, they've got a team of like 15, 20 people when England go away, probably a bit more than that. But he was single-handedly done a lot qualifying games along with uh, a doctor and then it developed into having an assistant trainer and then um, Wilf McGuinness got involved and Les Cocker and he just stayed in that small group but obviously Middlesbrough is a club that's uh, a fascination for me as well because obviously you had Dr Phillips who was England doctor for many years um, was a club doctor but also chairman and was responsible for, for bringing in Jack Charlton as manager after his playing days had finished his first managerial job but they 
organized probably the best medical setup in the country at the time in the, in the early 1960s. They used their money, what they used to host North Korea at the World Cup venue when they famously beat Italy, if you remember, to improve the medical facilities, that, which developed into a gymnasium, consultancy room and a treatment room. And it was so much so that the FA wrote to Dr. Phillips asking him to share his uh, prototype, basically, um, with the rest of the clubs um, to, for them to follow. And another guy who, who, who also had a keen interest and done a lot of work and paid tribute to him over the years is uh, a guy called Jimmy Hedridge, who wrote to the club back in 1966 asking if there was anything he could get involved with. And he just finished his uh, playing career of a serious knee injury and was keen to get into the physio side of it. And Doc Phillips had an interview with him and took him on. And obviously, he went on to become the youngest trainer at the age of 28 in the professional game. And I would think I'm probably the youngest to actually take up the bag uh, as an assistant trainer and trainer the following year in, um, at just 16 when I started getting involved after leaving our zone and going to Albury United as a, as a trainer as it was then. Like, you know. So. Yeah. Wow. Took two months for my uh, 17th birthday when I started. Well, I can imagine you've seen some sights then on, on the pitch and, and off the pitch in uh, in the teams that you've you've helped coach and, and physio at. Yeah, very much so. Um, I'll give you a story here. We were academy game, um, played in the championship race, and um, we was losing 1-0, getting battered by the opposition. Could have been 3 or 4-0. And at half time, um, a little hole appeared on the pitch. And as you press the hole, it got a little bit bigger and bigger. And uh, the coach said to the opposition, I had a chat with the referee, so we can do one or two things. We can either abandon it or we can go and play the second half at the training ground, <laughs> to which they all agreed. We got in the minibuses in our kits, um, put the corner flags out, put the goals out, kicked off and won 3-1. So I think that's probably a first that whereas that's ever happened, I can't imagine that ever happened before or happen again, if I'm honest with you. Was there any supporters there? Yeah, just, just a handful of supporters. Um, cause it was like a Friday afternoon um, game under 18's level. So, you know. They all followed in the cars, did they? <laughs> Yeah, all got in the minibus um, and travelled up and um, kicked off at the training ground because there was no accommodation at the training ground at the time, you know, so it was just being built at Wolves. So. And what, what teams were they, big fun? That was Wolves uh, under-18s against Warsaw under-18s. <laughs> and, uh, well, obviously the uh, the change of venue helped then. Yeah, yeah, we were going on to win the league that year um, <laughs> and, and, a, and a league cup as well to go with it and the following year winner. Uh, a league and two cups, so quite a good productive year. So two years, really. Yeah, but there's a, there's a little asterisk by the the results of of that particular game, saying <laughs> change of venue at half time. Yeah, so that's that's one interesting story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What it, what it is, um, being in this, the FA Medical Society, um, they very often would invite um, the physio or the England doctor to give a a report on what it was like in the tournaments. Um, and obviously, 86 was the first one I was fortunate to go to where Dr. Vern Edwards and Doc Crane gave the debrief and gave some fascinating insight into what it was like um, at the World Cup, and particularly Mexico 86. Um, obviously, they took a lot of um, advice from Dr. Alan Bass, who was with um, the 66 World Cup, and obviously Dr. Neil Phillips, who went out in 1970. So, they got a good uh, insight into what it was about. And obviously, there were certain things that went on. I don't even remember um, an ITN news story where there's 
obviously keeping the players hydrated where Vern Edwards come up with this thing of throwing bags of water onto the pitch to get, get water to the players as quick as possible. You know, obviously health and hygiene now, nah, that wouldn't yes. happen, but that, that was one of the things they did at the time, like, you know. So they would throw a bag of water to... Yeah, get bags of water, ice cold, tied up, and then just chuck them onto players so they could get fluids in because obviously you can imagine the heat and altitude was horrendous for the England team at the time. This this was during the training games for for England. Does it was it in eighty six that they were throwing? No, bags this was on? actually in the, in the in the training games, and obviously in the in the games itself, they, they threw them on. You know, keep the players hydrated. Um, really, I've, out there. Yeah. I've never seen any any footage of of bags of water yeah. being thrown on. I, I'm thinking now to the obviously the ninety four World Cup where Republic of Ireland were famously trying to get water onto the pitch but I don't think that was bags of water but I don't think I've ever seen footage of of bags of water being thrown on back in 86. Yeah that, that's what they did yeah it was, a, it was an ITN news story just prior to them going out you know they, they, they'd come up with that idea to, to get them hydrated during the tournament you know, so. yeah obviously drinks bottles and things have sort of like evolved over the years you know when I first started there was no, no such thing as drinks bottles you know it was like two bottles of uh, diluted orange squash and that, that was it for the whole team, you know. <laughs> no, a dozen, like, plastic cups. They're plastic cups, obviously, but no, like these, you know, they've got these drinks bottles now filled up and everything which they chuck on, obviously. There was... Um, Go, we'll start, so we start with 70 then. Um, 70 was um, the Finders incident. There's a, there's a few stories I can tell you about that. Yeah. Uh, Finders sponsored the England team and obviously... When they go to a tournament, many people want to sponsor them. So in the 70s, they had all sorts of companies throwing their wares at them, pharmaceutical companies. Zay, I think it is it Zace, a sunglass manufacturer. Right. They uh, was, was giving them sunglasses. And obviously, Findus, the doctor done a deal with Findus to supply all the um, sausages, beef burgers, mints, and bacon. And obviously, when it got out, out to Mexico, they incinerated it because England had not long come out of a foot and mouth crisis and they thought that they were bringing foot and mouth into the country. So um, it was a disastrous start for the uh, England party. As you can imagine, they spent uh, the first week week and a half, I think, uh, on sausages, potato crockets and peas and apple pie for afters. Like, you know, so, and, uh, that must uh, have cost a fortune to, to send yeah. out like food from England uh, across the Atlantic um, to to Mexico for then it to only be incinerated. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable so where, did, thing. where did they get it, the the food from then? Do you know? Well, they, they had the uh, the non meat products like the fish fingers and bits and right. pieces like that, but they could still eat, have the fish and the non meat products. But they spent a week and a half eating fish fingers, potato crockets, peas, and things like that. And obviously, Doc Phillips negotiated with Findus and the Mexican authorities to relent and. Uh, they had a, a further consignment shipped out and managed to uh, get the player spirits up um, so much so that Findus was uh, classed as top of the pops. Uh, so not only the, the connection with the food, top of the pops, but obviously England back home, top of the pops, where you had Les Cocker, um, Howard Shepherdson, and Dr Neil Phillips. They were proud owners of um, a pie um, golden disc for their recording of that um, back home, if you remember. Oh, what, the back home song? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that what they were on it were they or yeah they were on it yeah i've got a picture here where they actually yeah the three of them are, are there with their um gold disc like 
Uh, no, I didn't know that. I did well. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's pi or EMI, but I've got the picture in, in one of my books. So, oh right, well, obviously the record label pi and, and EMI. Yeah, pi, yeah. pi would yeah. be most appropriate. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, and cool. so so what else happened in in 1970? Well, in 1970, there was um, five players' wives. Something went on where that those five wives managed to be out in Mexico at the same time as the players. Like, and obviously, Dr. Neil Phillips um, and Howard Shepperson and Les Cocker was dead against that situation. Martin Peters' wife yeah, went down with gastroenteritis, so another distraction for them. Doc Phillips was uh, dead against the uh, players' wives being out there. Right. So, I mean, I know they, they do try and have a period of time where the WAGs, as they uh, get they were branded back in 2006 but yeah so they like to have them out for a little while and then maybe send them home before the action gets going on the pitch yeah, yeah well doc phillips um was always the consensus that girls alcohol smoking partying is a distraction at, at best and one he thought the players could do without right you know, and, uh, i think bobby robson had it right in 86 when they got through the group stage they flew the boys out for to a couple of days together and then flew them back. And I think it was done when they got through the next game, he brought them out again. And I, I think that worked well, to be honest. I think um, he had the balance right with that. Yeah. I mean, although flying out for a couple of days is is, is yeah. all like the jet lag, I can imagine, would catch up yeah, with yeah. them <laughs> coming yeah. out like that. Yeah. And obviously Gatorade was a problem as well. So they remember Gatorade was like not, not licensed in Mexico, bottled anyway. So again, they had another problem where they had to um, organise the powder version so they could mix it with the Morgan spring water and do it that way. Otherwise, Gatorade bottles wouldn't have been allowed in. And obviously, oh. Dr. Phillips' wife, she wrote the nutrition aspects for the players out while they're out there, the diets. <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, I guess because Gatorade wouldn't have been a, uh, a FIFA sponsor. No, no, it wasn't a sponsor then. It was quite in its early doors then, Gatorade, I think. Yeah, I was going to say Gatorade. I, um, I, I sort of associate as being a, a fairly newish drink, if I'm all, if I'm honest. Um, but yeah, 1970, I wasn't wasn't aware of that. When was the you said about the ITV man stepping into the doctor's position after he had a heart attack? Was that 86? Yeah, that that was 86. Um, commentary really I remember they going went with Jim Rosenthal went live to the England camp and he said how how good the mood is in the England camp it was rock today where news of the England doctor Vernon Edwards had suffered a heart attack Vernon Edwards was more than you run of the mill average physician uh, and much more than, than just being the doctor like he was like a second father figure to the players like yeah. obviously Bobby Robson confirming that in an interview with John Watson who was a not only a friend, he was a confident, um, trust, trusting guy, you know, and it, it was a big loss to them. The, obviously, the, the replacement was Dr. Crane, who I mentioned earlier, and obviously he got his own GP practice, so he had to make arrangements to get cover. And in the uh, interim period, the ITV doctor, um, Lady Leslie Young, stepped in and looked after the players while they were in a, I think it took about a week for Doc Crane to get his uh, arrangements sorted to fly out and uh, take up his position with the squad. So ITV's so, Leslie Young um, yeah. has England England doctor on her CV for yeah. a week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And obviously, ironically, Dr. Vernon Edwards was going to retire after that World Cup, um, appointed by Alf Ramsey, 1970, I think, uh, spent time with the juniors and the rest of that time with the England senior side. So it's a bit of a blow to them. Yeah, to, to finish like that would have been, would have been unfortunate. Yeah. I take it he recovered then, did he? He recovered, yeah, yeah. And after that World Cup, I, I got in touch with him and he invited me down to a couple of Watford games and really got 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 friendly with him like you know and uh, learned a lot off him really about football medicine and things and pieces like that's good yeah no it's, it's great to get hear some of those inner sanctum stories um there was one about uh, when David Beckham was sent off in 1998 there was a story about what what happened then yeah, David Beckham got sent off against Argentina, as you know, and obviously he didn't see any further part of that game because uh, he was taken into the uh, the doping control area and uh, obviously required to produce a sample. And until then, he didn't see any further part of that game, which, you know, it's a bit the other side of it, you know, gets sent off, misses the, the, can't even watch the game, like, you know, so. Didn't even get to see the penalties. No, no. Or, or Michael Owens, yeah, I assume he was gone before Michael Owens' goal, or did he? Yeah, Sol Campbell's goal as well, I think. Was it Sol Campbell scored? Did he disallowed or something? Well, it certainly scored, but yeah, unfortunately, yeah. disallowed. That was right towards yeah. the end, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, in, in um, 98, there was um, a slide at one of the debriefs where they showed a, a group, and uh, Dr. Neil Phillips spoke about this. Um, it's the worst and sad day of all in the World Cup and, and tournament when. Those, that group sort of like whittled down to to 24, I think it is. I'm not sure it's gone up this year, the squad number, I think. But that's whittled down where six, five, six of their mates that will be taking no further part in the World Cup. You know, it's when they named the the squad for FIFA and yeah. they're out, out of camp. And he showed a slide of all the players out having a meal and he said it was a, a great day, but it was also a very sad day because five of their mates would not be taking any further part in the World Cup. All oh, right, so... This picture then showed everyone, and then he sort yeah. of knew he knew from yeah. the picture what was coming. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, it, was that going back into like '98? Then was '98? Yeah. yeah, was Gazza, Gazza in the picture? Yeah, yeah. Oh dear, yeah. The infamous uh, hotel room, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Sadly. yeah. Oh well, the ho- hotel room that was well, by by all accounts, had a uh, had a bit of attention by Gazza. Yeah, because I think Ian Wright said that he went, he was the next one in actually into Glen Oddor's room and uh, he didn't know what to do, whether to help him start tidying up or, or just sit and listen to what Glen Oddor got to say to him. Like, you know. Yeah, that's, that's it's such a state. Sad, yeah. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, if if only, if only he'd have gone yeah, to yeah. that one. 98, they'd, um, after they lost to Argentina, the next day they had a, a massive fire to get the spirits up ready to fly home back to England. Like, you know, little things like that, you know, that you don't sort of like realize and appreciate, but they're human beings at the end of the day and people forget that, don't they? So, yeah. yeah, no, you're right. I mean, you, they've still got to eat and, and as you say, be, be human like. They're, they're going to have a fry up and despite the result yeah. the night before, they're probably going to enjoy a, uh, a good greasy, uh, English fry up, yeah. And I think it's when they go to that game, and when the knockout stage, it, it's such a cruel way they go. They, they get knocked out. They're back at the hotel. They've got like two, three hours to pull it round, get all the gear packed, and be on the plane flying home. Like you know, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's what you don't think about, really, isn't it? When a team is 
knocked out of a tournament yeah. that they okay they can just get on the plane the next day or whatever but it's it is the backroom staff uh, the likes of the the physios the chef the um nutritionist and everyone who's got i, I imagine boxes upon boxes of of equipment that all needs to be packed up quickly and and come home with the team yeah the, the amount of equi- equipment what they take is just unbelievable you know um not only medical equipment but obviously it's different now because I think when they um, from sort of like 90 98 I think I think they had somebody like um, Audi or uh, Tesco would kit out the hotel with all the books and magazines and the games room and everything and the food and everything but back in 86 it was down to Fed Street to take the um, the bits and pieces the Monopoly games the dart sets the table tennis sets the chefs the drafts um, the books the Atari thing, you know, the old <laughs> ping pong Atari oh, game. computer like, game, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, and obviously they used to pack um, dairy milk chocolate because um, it wasn't the same abroad. They'd take um, under the packs a variety of packs because players like the cornflakes for breakfast. They'd take HP sauce. They'd take tins of rice pudding. Some of the players like rice pudding for the pre-match meal. So, for five people looking after the team back then, it, you can imagine it was a, a huge operation, a lot different to what it is now at the World Cup, where there's, there's that much logistics go on, and obviously more and more staff have evolved over the years. So for those people in 86, 70, there's a, a lot of hard work for four people. Because I think in, in 70, Les Cocker was unpacking the gear at the hotel and hurt his back, and he was in bed for, for a week, you know. So <laughs> in a tournament, Gary Lewin... Dr. Vern Edwards and obviously Les Cocker have all been injured or ill during a tournament. Um, so there's three medical staff have, have uh, suffered at tournaments, which you, you don't really expect the medical staff to be laid off, do you? No. I mean, there's there's one thing that players get injured with with metatarsals and all that over the years. But yeah, the last thing you expect to, to have is, is physios getting injured on, in the backroom staff. Is there any... Any other stories that you've heard of, not not just from World Cups or European Championships, but from just general internationals? Um, there's also the, 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 you know, the story in eight, in '66 where um, Sir Alf Ramsey walked down Hendon High Street hmm. on the, the eve of the World Cup final to go and see his mate Reg Jury, who's the News of the World sports editor, and have a cup of tea and with Greavesy on his mind whether to bring. Jimmy Greaves back or stick with Jeff Hurst. You know, imagine Gareth Southgate walking down Hendon High Street at, at the Euros last summer t- to speak to a local press guy. <laughs> you know, a national press guy, not not a local press guy, a national press guy. It just wouldn't happen, would it? Or, or you can't, can't even imagine it, can you? No, 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 not at all. It'd all be kept uh, behind closed doors, certainly. Yeah. And obviously, he was a, he was a colleague um, when he played for Tottenham, so our fans, he obviously they become colleagues and friends and he trusted him. And I think back then you had like the managers would trust certain members of the press that they, you know, they could help them out a little bit and they'd keep things under the hat and use it if they needed. That's quite trustworthy back in the day, but I don't think you, you, that, that sort of trust is, uh, as like it used to be now. Uh, no, back I, then. I think there's only a, uh, maybe a select few journalists that yeah. would, uh, keep the, the stories under their hat with, with Gareth Southgate at this, moment in time um i mean and, and reading back in history certainly 
Bobby Robson and, and Graham Taylor wouldn't have been given that sort of grace. No, no. Do you remember the, the 86 World Cup story of uh, Bobby Robson on the balcony with the head in his hands? you remember that? I've seen the the images or the photo. Yeah, it was a headline to uh, Bobby Robson under pressure the next day before the Poland game. And uh, he said he wasn't the picture. He was actually listening to Desert Island Discs on his uh, Walkman. How <laughs> was he? Yeah, he hadn't got his head in his hands as the press had portrayed. Like, you know. <laughs> uh, no, I, I know the photo, but no, I didn't know the, the reason behind it, no. Yeah. You've got a story about boots. Yeah, the, the kit man said to Gay Lewin um, before they went out to, I think it was, um, it was 2002, something like that. he said, do you know how many pairs of boots we're taking? And he said, no, but he said, um, he gave a figure. And he said, no, you won't believe. He said, we're taking 450 pairs of boots. Really? He said, you're joking, aren't you? And he said, no. He said, because I don't even know the players have, have had the, the, the game embroidered on the boots, don't they? So Some of them some do, players. yeah. Yeah. And obviously Nike, Adidas, Puma launched their boots during the World Cup so mm. or Euro. So obviously they, they want these boots on the telly. They want these boots getting maximum exposure. Yeah. So you can imagine 24 players, they've got a lot of pair of boots to try and get through the tournament and obviously promote for the sales, obviously. You know, it's big, big business. And obviously blisters were a problem. And they obviously tried to get players to break in any new boots to try and break them in before they went out there, obviously to prevent the blisters. But they come up with the idea of, of wash, washing the socks for 30 times and getting Umbro to produce more of a heat-resistant, uh, friction-free sock to help prevent blisters. Ah, so they the wash wash the socks before they're even used in a match game. Yeah, yeah. Just to try and prevent the blisters in the, from yeah. new boots. Wow, yeah. I mean, four hundred and fifty yeah. pairs of boots on again. That that'd take a whole trunk for someone to yeah. uh, to push around and and that sort of thing. Massive, massive entourage, and yeah. I mean, you see, Crazy, yeah. I mean, you see the players like in in just Premier League games when you see them walking into the uh, the changing rooms before, and they've just got a uh, a wash bag. I always assumed that their boots were in there, but I doubt they are. If they're just taken, nah, they're all in a skip and put out every game and laid out for them. Flip flops are laid out for them. Shin pads are laid out for them. You know, it's a massive thing. It's a, it's a whole nother world, isn't it? That, yeah. that players at top flight football are the treatment they're given. Yeah. Now, and obviously it becomes like a club environment out there. You know, it's more of a club where players play, they rest, the, the non-players train. Gary Lewin always used to open up at these meetings and say, what's the biggest problem you ever, you have to deal with at a tournament. The biggest thing they have to deal with is boredom. You right. know, people are in a goldfish bowl for seven weeks living together you know, and obviously they have a games room and they have all this that and the other now. But imagine back to 86 where there was no laptop, there was no mobile phones, there was no internet. Uh, and today they've got internet, they've got mobile phones, they've got iPhones, they've got a lot like to, to communicate. And he said the, the most single thing they have to maintain is making sure there's a Wi-Fi connection. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can, can well imagine. Yeah. I imagine there's some yeah. players that, yeah, get very frustrated with their... Uh, their social media, if it's not working. Yeah. I think but, again, but Scotland played Gordon Strachan said boredom. He said, they don't, they don't know what boredom's like. <laughs> and he reverted back to 86. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, there's, there's the stories of 1990 with, with Gaza um, would, 
would just be a, a hive of activity, either sunbathing when he shouldn't be, playing tennis when he shouldn't be, or or doing all, all things that he really shouldn't, just to keep him just to keep his mind occupied. Yeah, yeah. Now, along with being a, a physio at the side of the pitch, you've also written a few pieces for various articles for for the likes of the Football Pink. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, passion for the game, and I do that. Um, I write a program notes in, in the I write an article in the program every every home game as well. Just a, just a passion really of the game and. You know, all aspects. It might be something that's topical that's happening in the football world at the time, or it might be a looking depth of the uh, the medical side of the game. Um, yeah, and and as a an England fan yourself, are you? What are your thoughts going forward for for this year and the, and the World Cup coming up? Well, it, it's the environment that I'm not not too sure about with the uh, Qatar. Um, I think it's going to be very very difficult um, for the players. You know, um, obviously. Sports science has moved on leaps and bounds, but I still think it's going to be a, a big issue getting used to the conditions and everything else that goes around it, the environment as well. You know, uh, hopefully they can have a, a good tournament, but I just worry with the outside factors will, will could be a problem for them. Yeah, it's, it's one tournament that I think any team could be in form going into it. Yeah. But I think just as it is a... A whole new sort of scenario for every every team. This small country, this change of time in the year, the potential heat and humidity. I genuinely think that this this tournament could be anyone's. Yeah, I've got I've got the feeling myself like that. And obviously, uh, if it takes place as well, so or everything else, what's going on as well, you you just wonder if uh, things can escalate and you know it might not take place. You know, it's, it's a worry as well in the back of people's minds, I'd imagine as well. Yeah. No, very interesting. Thanks for uh, thanks for giving us an insight into what what you know and, and what you've heard about and and how things work sort of behind closed doors that we don't get to see. That's great. Good to speak to you anyway. Take care. Thank you very much to Gavin there for his time and his input. Certainly a few things there that I hadn't considered at all. The amount of boots that get taken to a tournament. Wow. Thank you for tuning in. As always, it is appreciated. Don't forget the podcast can be found on all the usual social media channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just search Free Lions Podcast. Like, subscribe, all that. Now, we quickly move into May, and that means another in our World Cup series. Of course, this month was 1966, where I spoke with Peter Woodman. That one is still available, but it means May is Mexico 1970. Could I find someone who went all that way over 50 years ago? It took me a while and a lot of digging, a lot of emails sent, a few phone calls, but I got there and she has got some great stories to tell us. I hope you can join me for it. So until then, stay subscribed. Take care. Cheers. Cheers.